Hello, friends, and welcome to Into the Word, a radio and online program committed to reading, loving, and living the whole counsel of God. I'm your host and Bible guide, Pastor Paul Carter. Your word is a lamp unto my feet. Hope you have your Bible open in front of you today to Genesis chapter 33. This is one of the most beautiful chapters in the Bible. Psalm 133 says, Behold how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. It is like the precious ointment upon the head that ran down upon the beard, even Aaron's beard that went down to the skirts of his garments. As the dew of Hermon and as the dew that descended upon the mountains of Zion, for there the Lord commanded the blessing, even life forevermore. It is a beautiful thing when brothers dwell together in unity. There is peace in that place. There is life in that place. And there is a blessing in that place. But that place and that prospect seems very unlikely to Jacob in Genesis 32. You remember that he was he was planning and praying. He was worrying and waiting. He had heard that Esau was waiting for him on the other side of the Jabbok, and he knew what he had done to Esau. He remembered how he had left things. He had cheated his brother two times, and he had left him a broken and bitter man. Do you remember back in chapter 27, Esau says, Is he not rightly named Jacob? For he has cheated me these two times. He took away my birthright, and behold, now he has taken away my blessing. Jacob took everything from Esau. And Esau begged his father, saying, Have you not reserved a blessing for me? Have you but one blessing, my father? Bless me, even me also, O my father. And Esau lifted up his voice and wept. Esau was a broken man, and he was a bitter man. In fact, he was consoling himself with a thought of murdering his brother. He said in Genesis 27, 41, The days of mourning for my father are approaching. Then I will kill my brother Jacob. Esau has been planning his murder when Jacob ran away 20 years ago, and he hasn't heard a word from him since. They didn't have email back then, and Jacob had been far away in a distant land for 20 years, and for all he knew, his brother had been sitting and stewing in that murderous rage the entire time. But if you remember from our last chapter, Jacob has met with God. Jacob has wrestled with God, and Jacob has been reminded that he carries the blessing of God. And Jacob is a changed man now because of the touch of God. He walks with a limp. He has been roughed up and refined over the last 20 years and over the last 24 hours. And so we have every reason to hope that this meeting will go better than it should, humanly speaking. Without any further ado, let's read this amazing story. Hear now the word of the Lord, beginning at verse 1. And Jacob lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold... Esau was coming, and 400 men with him. So he divided the children among Leah and Rachel and the two female servants. And he put the servants with their children in front, then Leah with her children, Rachel and Joseph last of all. He himself went on before them, 
bowing himself to the ground seven times until he came near to his brother. So Jacob is still a planner, right? He's thinking through the optics. He has arranged everything in the most pleasant, appealing, and submissive way. He's doing everything right here, even though he knows that the outcome ultimately is in the hand of the Lord. The Bible doesn't tell us to pray and do nothing. It tells us to pray and then do the best we can and leave the outcome to the Lord. That's what we see here. This scene reminds me of that scene in Pilgrim's Progress where Christian has to pass between the lions. Do you remember that? If you haven't read Pilgrim's Progress, you need to go out and buy a copy of that book immediately. It is the best illustration of the Christian life you will find outside of these stories in the Bible. In Pilgrim's Progress, Christian has to pass between these two lions. There's one on either side of this road. He has been warned of the danger of the lions by another frightened and faithless traveler. But he was told by evangelist not to leave this road. That's exactly where Jacob is. God told him to go back to the land of his father. But to get there, he had to pass through Esau. And he has no idea how he'll be able to do that. It, it was faith alone that kept him moving, just like in Pilgrim's Progress. Do you remember when Christian got to the pillars? Do you remember what he saw? He was trembling. He was so afraid. He was making his way inch by inch. And then as he passed between the lions, he actually saw that they were chained to the pillars on which they stood. They could not reach him. God had established limits on those lions, and Christian was able to pass safely through. So it is here. God has obviously gone ahead of Jacob and prepared the way. We see that in the next verse. Verse 4 says, But Esau ran to meet him and embraced him and fell on his neck and kissed him, and they wept. And when Esau lifted up his eyes and saw the women and children, he said, Who are these with you? Jacob said, The children whom God has graciously given your servant. Then the servants drew near, they and their children bowed down. Leah, likewise, and her children drew near and bowed down. And last, Joseph and Rachel drew near, and they bowed down. Esau said, What do you mean by all this company that I met? Jacob answered, To find favor in the sight of my Lord. But Esau said, I have enough, my brother. Keep what you have for yourself. Jacob said, no, please. If I have found favor in your sight, then accept my presence from my hand, for I have seen your face, which is like seeing the face of God. You have accepted me. Please accept my blessing that is brought to you, because God has dealt graciously with me, and because I have enough. Thus he urged him, and he took it. This is one of the most beautiful scenes in all of Scripture. I love what Jacob says here. He says, I have seen your face, which is like seeing the face of God. Having seen God, Jacob now looks upon his brother in a whole new light. <laughs> that is part of the miracle and magic of the gospel. When God saves us, he changes us and restores us such that we are able to live again at peace in harmony with one another. There is no such thing as a saved person who hates his brother. The Bible says that. 1 John 4.20, the apostle says, if anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. 
For he who does, who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. See, if you really meet God in the flesh, it will change you forever. It will change the way you look at other people. People who know who God is and who they are and what God has done for them in Christ cannot hold a grudge against other people. They cannot maintain bitterness. They cannot fail to forgive. They just don't see people the same way anymore. Those faces that once looked like enemies now look like the sons and daughters of God. They look like brothers and sisters, friends and soulmates. When you wrestle with God in the flesh, it changes forever the way you look at other people. God has done a work in Jacob's life, and it seems that God has done a work in Esau's life as well. And as a result, they are reconciled to one another. Verse 12 goes on to say, Then Esau said, Let us journey on our way, and I'll go ahead of you. But Jacob said to him, My Lord knows that the children are frail, and that the nursing flocks and herds are a care to me. If they are driven hard for one day, all the flocks will die. Let my Lord pass on ahead of his servant, and I will lead on slowly at the pace of the livestock that are ahead of me and at the pace of the children until I come to my Lord in Seir. So Esau said, let me leave with you some of the people who are with me. But he said, what need is there? Let me find favor in the sight of my Lord. So Esau returned that day on his way to Seir. But Jacob journeyed to Succoth and built himself a house and made booths for his livestock. Therefore, the name of the place is called Succoth. Now, commentators differ here as to whether Jacob is being deceitful or considerate. Some see him deceiving Esau, likely in an attempt to avoid offending him by speaking about the promises of God and the need for him to go on to Bethel. Others see him simply setting a considerate pace so as not to burden Esau on the one hand or exhaust his family and the herds on the other hand. What is clear is that he delays in getting to Bethel. He seeks to establish a home base in Succoth, and then he moves from there to Shechem, which was a trading center about a day's journey short of Bethel. So Jacob is obeying here, but he is also planning for the future prosperity of his family. And as we will see in the next chapter, that delay comes at a very high cost. Our chapter concludes with these words. And Jacob came safely to the city of Shechem, which is in the land of Canaan, on his way from Paden Aram. And he camped before the city. And from the sons of Hamor, Shechem's father, he bought for a hundred pieces of money the piece of land on which he had pitched his tent. There he erected an altar and called it El Elohi Israel. The name El Elohi Israel means God is the God of Israel. And it recalls Jacob's vow in chapter 28 and his new name given to him in chapter 32. Jacob is a new man. He is a man of faith now, but there is still remaining sin in his life. And that causes pain and hardship for his family and for his neighbors. We'll hear more about that in the next chapter. Thanks be to God. And thank you for listening to Into the Word. 
If you're interested in additional resources or previous episodes and series, you can find those over the website at www.intotheword.ca. You can also check us out on Facebook, and I hope you do. We have a growing community of Bible readers over there, and we post daily encouragements and conversation starters. Hope to see you there. And hope to see you again tomorrow, right here for another episode of Into the Word. Before.